Episode 6 of Bellum Mensa, Act 3 of The Lost Minds of Fandalva, Session 9, Rewards and Revenge. Searching carefully, our heroes, Likar, Bikar, Cardrus, Grimlor, and Mormir have uncovered every secret of Cragmore Castle. They can tell by the stonework that the original structure was wrought by human magic, for good dwarven stonework would not have decayed as much in only a few centuries. In one remaining tower, amidst the darkness and owlbear droppings, they found a lead-lined chest filled with magical artifacts. More magic was found in the old chapel, where the now cleansed altar was activated when the final golden statuette was recovered from a brazier of coal. The voice of Arathis the Lawbearer praised the restoration of her shrine, and the goddess of civilization offered in exchange for news the gift of divine guidance, and she answered a single question for each hero, though not every single one of them asked. With the knowledge from the Lawbearer, they knew of Dundrum's map, which was now in the hands of a doppelganger who had stolen Mormir's form and was racing towards Phandalin. Likar once again used his wolf form and raced to the town, trailed by his new companion, Snarl, the tamed wolf once loyal to King Grol. Meeting up with Gundren and Sildar in the Stonehill Tavern, it wasn't long before he saw Mormir, fully dressed in his robe and carrying the magical glass staff, headed down the road. In a violent and bloody ambush, the doppelganger was slain, the map recovered alongside Mormir's equipment, aside from his robe, which had been shredded by claw and fang. Now our heroes must choose their next course of action. Twice now they have run into hawks, and their friend Sildar Hallwinter is posting a bounty. But they have also just recovered both Uncle Gundren and now his map. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bellum Mensa, the chronicle of my experiences as a professional dungeon master and of my first experience running the Lost Mines of Fandalva. In this week's episode, my players got to loot all of Cragmore Castle, and thanks to their diligence, got every scrap of treasure possible. Some modules hide treasure more thoroughly than others, and I have come across complaints about the Lost Mines of Fandalva hiding a chest of treasure on a high window ledge in the Albear's Tower. Some people have said that this is unrealistic, as surely the goblins would have found it in all the time that they have occupied Castle Cragmore. But as I was running this campaign, and intending to run it as close to as written as possible, I decided that they had been using this tower as an animal pen, for a very long time indeed. I lingered over my description of the owlbear droppings covering the floor. And then, my players rolled a natural twenty when they searched the room. I had no idea how they would get up the sides of the tower, but I am fortunate enough to have been in several old castles, so I described the holes left by missing wooden beams in the stonework sides, and my players did the rest, scaling with a grappling hook and managing to not fall into the manure. There is another piece of well-hidden treasure, a golden statuette, part of a set that the goblin pretending to be a shaman had been using. Now, for some reason, it's hidden in the coal brazier. I elaborated a little on the statue to make it more clear to my players not where this statuette was hidden, but that there was something missing to find. I used the altar with golden ornaments for this. They weren't interested in the coal brazier at, at first. There are coal braziers in several of the rooms, but they were interested in the altar. So I elaborated that each of the golden ornaments, the chalice, the knife, and the censer, which predate the goblin occupation, 
all had a depression that they fetted into on the altar with a click, and that there was one depression left unfilled. This caught their interest, and eventually they found the statuette, clicked it into place, and I was then able to speak in the voice of a goddess. Rewarding them for this thorough exploration was a great moment for me as a GM and felt like proper Dungeons and Dragons. Another great moment is when a player turns a combat encounter into a non-combat encounter. The very last foe left in the castle was King Grohl's pet wolf, but Lickar, who was a druid, decided to try and tame it. Sacrificing a day's rations, he was able to calm the beast, who, like his former bugbear masters, respected strength. I know some DMs don't like players going around collecting pets, but it seemed entirely appropriate for a druid who favoured a direwolf shape to want to make friends with this wolf. This was actually a form of unconventional loot, but after all, loot is in the eye of the beholder. Once the castle was thoroughly combed clean and every goblin's pockets turned out, my players decided to ask some questions of the statuette, who had offered answers as a reward for their noble deed of freeing the castle. Some of my players asked about the future, and I used something that I learned from the late, great James Randi. Meaningless statements make a great prophecy. The statuette casts Augury, a spell that only works for 30-minute predictions. It was meant for when the players are assaulting the castle, maybe they can gain insight about which direction to go. But my players had already cleared the castle, and had attacked from the back door in any case, so they would not have encountered the statuette until most of the castle's real enemies were defeated. So I was a bit disappointed that this cool bit of loot wasn't working. I was essentially just giving I Ching readings instead of real answers, until one of my players asked about the present. It may not have been strictly within the rules of Augury, which call for wheel, meaning good, as in wealthy, or woe, as in bad, or wheel and woe, just to confuse you, or indeterminate as separate to wheel and woe. Though it may not have been strictly within the rules of the augury spell, I never actually told my players that the statuette was casting augury, so I was happy to answer their questions about the present in some detail. This revealed to the players that the doppelganger was on the move, and they leapt into action. I was anticipating that they would attempt to track down the doppelganger and catch him on the road. Instead, once again, they split the party and took advantage of Lickar's high movement speed as a direwolf. He raced back to Phandalin through the wilderness and warned everyone about the doppelganger. And then, it was time for a showdown in the town square. The doppelganger didn't stand a chance, but some lucky die rolls meant that for a few rounds it seemed tense. Normally, I'm a logistics guy, to a fault in some cases. But I knew that this fight was not going to sit right with me unless I ignored the logistics of it. On round three, I had the rest of the party show up, just like in a movie. And just like in a movie, None of my players complained about realism or had issues with the timing. They arrived like big damn heroes, and like big damn heroes, they reduced the doppelganger to a bloody smear. Immediately after this combat, which had drawn the attention of the whole town, in the bloody town square itself, with the support of the players, I had Sildar Hallwinter both proclaim them as saviours of Fandelver and use the opportunity to replace the incompetent townmaster with himself. This was a continuation of Sildar's plotline from the earlier session, and was intended to encourage the players to do some of the side quests of Act 3, at which I entirely failed. But the players were impressed by Sildar's political acumen, and it played into the world-building as I gave Sildar's little speech mentioning the lords of Brindle and Denevar, who are in this adaption the lords of the titular Lords' Alliance. 
This bit of world building, combined with my descriptions of Castle Cragmore from right at the start of the game, all played into my plan to bring in Red Hand of Doom. And as the game never got that far, it could be seen as wasted. But I think no dungeon master should consider any world building wasted. It gave me good answers to give when the dwarves used their stone cunning to learn about the castle. And, as long as you don't waffle along too long explaining how the castle was wrought by human magic and not dwarven stone cunning, it lends the world verisimilitude. If you don't think I waffle on too long, you can tune in for another episode of Bellum Mensa next week. I've been Adam. If you'd like to play with me, you can contact me at bellummensa at gmail.com. Music was by Tomfoolery Beats. Thank you.